0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 6th by Pastor Randy, titled, Dealing with Difficult People, Part 2. All right, well, it's good to see people back in the sanctuary this morning. Uh, Glad to have you here. I keep looking for a place to put my glasses in my pocket but this shirt doesn't have pockets. (laughs) Who makes a shirt without pockets? Who buys a shirt without pockets? I'm not sure, but anyway, small problem. But what I've discovered over years is that most of my problems that I have are relational in nature. They have to do with relationships because when things aren't going well, it's usually because of relationships. See if you can identify with this. In my life, everything can be going great but if it's not going well with relationships with the people I love and the people I'm close to, then things aren't doing so well. Or in my life, everything else can be falling apart. But if things are going okay with relationships and with the ones I love and care about, then I'm kind of doing okay. And, and I even find as a pastor that most of my counseling has to do with relationships. Let's look at the big picture for a moment. The Bible says that Satan is out to deceive us. Now, if I were to ask you how many of you are being deceived right now, probably nobody would raise their hand because if you're deceived, part of that is you don't know you're being deceived, right? But the Bible says that Satan's out to deceive us, and the area that he's trying to deceive us in is relationships. Relationships with others, relationships with those who might be close to us, And even relationships with people we may not even know. You know, those awful Democrats, those terrible Republicans and and things like that. Because here's the thing. What, What we need to understand is that the reason we struggle so much in relationships is not because that's just the way things are. It's because we have an enemy that's out to deceive us, to try and get us to going each other in relationships because God is all about relationships. He sent Jesus down a cross so that we might have a relationship with Him and a relationship with others. The number one sign that you're a Christian that shows you God, that shows you received is when those barriers are broken down in relationships. Those racial barriers, economic barriers, social barriers, and even political barriers when they're broken down. Some of you might remember the name... uh, John Ehrlichman or Charles Colson. They were two very high up people in the United States. They had offices next to the president, President Nixon, but he was a president a while back. I know I lost many of you there when I mentioned, because that was way before you were born. But they were high ups in that. And then came along one of the major first scandals in our modern history called Watergate. And you can read about that too. If you're not sure who Nixon was, you can also read about Watergate. But after that, after, after that Watergate scandal came out, then Ehrlichman and, and, and Colson were both sentenced to prison. And that's when their lives began going in two very different directions. Coulson became a Christian. He started a, a prison ministry. Ehrlichman, he just became bitter. He became angry, especially at Colson. And they were served prison for a couple of years. But after they released, Coulson uh, Coulson began to develop his prison ministry and that grew and flourished. Ehrlichman, he was in failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship. And now you fast forward to 1999, he is in a nursing home, dying from kidney failure. His third wife has left him. His kids won't have anything to do with him. And Coulson Hears about this, he gets on a plane, he flies to Virginia, and he spends a couple hours as a friend just to visit with Ehrlichman. And Ehrlichman is so taken back that, that Colson would come and visit him after all the things he'd been saying about Coulson. Because after he got out of prison, whenever he goes to speak, he would also mention Colson and, and, and just be bitter and angry against him and say bad things about him. But he was so taken back that Coulson would come and visit him that he began to search for God. And three months later, he calls Colson up and says, I'm ready to become a Christian. Can you send somebody by here to tell me how? And he does, and he, he did. And the reason he became a Christian is because in the midst of that difficult situation, in the midst of that difficult relationship, Colson saw Christ, made sure Christ was lifted up. And here's the thing I want you to realize. When, you're in, when, when you are, are in a difficult situation, whenever you're with a difficult person and you're being wounded, you're being criticized, are you going to handle that in such a way that Christ is lifted up? The way you respond when somebody hurts you, the way you respond when somebody says something that goes against your values or somebody who wounds you, the way you respond to that. is is one of the most critical things you'll ever do as a Christian because it shows you get it. It shows you understand what the gospel is all about because when we were enemies of God, he didn't try to get even with us or he didn't just ignore us and, and walk away. What did he do? He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He chose to bless us instead. And whenever... Somebody insults you or somebody wounds you or somebody says something that goes against your values and everything you hold dear. And instead of trying to get even with them or instead of walking away, you choose to be a blessing to them, you get it. It shows that you get it. You understand the principle that good can't can't overcome evil. So how you respond to other people is one of the most significant things you can do as a Christian. So let's look at our verses. Romans 12, beginning at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now, these verses assume that there's going to be conflict. It shouldn't surprise us. When we have conflict, when when we have trouble with difficult people, that shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise them is the way we respond to it. Now let me do something here just for a couple of minutes before we delve into these verses. I think, you know, I shouldn't have to, it's a no-brainer, but then I realized, no, I have to do this. Let me just, let's make sure you understand a few exceptions to this. Number one, if you're in a marriage where there's physical abuse... You need to get out of that, especially if you're like a wife and your husband is physically abusive to you. You don't need to stay in that situation. You need to get out of that situation, demand that he repent and that he changed and so proof that he's changed before you get back into that situation, okay? Uh, Jesus, when he was uh, outside of Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff. What did he do? He he walked back through the crowd and, and went someplace else. He didn't just let them abuse him. Second of all, these verses are not talking about somebody who's weak and who's afraid to stand up and do anything or say anything. These verses are talking about someone who who is spiritually strong, who is so in control of their emotions, so in control of themselves, and so controlled by love for other people that they refuse to retaliate. And third, these verses don't mean you don't get involved in a criminal justice system. If somebody accuses you of something and you're innocent, you need to defend yourself. In Acts 24, Paul defends himself in court. And if somebody steals from you or, God forbid, does something to harm your children, yes. You should approach the authorities. You should be a witness to that. You You want that taken care of because it's a very unloving thing to do to allow them to go free to do it to somebody else. Okay, so I just want you to understand there's some exceptions to this. to to what we're going to be talking about today and and continue on yet last week and for the next couple of weeks. But let's go back and and let's look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. The first thing I want you to see here is that how we respond to evil begins with our tongue. How do you respond when somebody says something about you? Wound you, insult you. What do people do today? I'm going to insult them right back. They give me a zinger, I'm going to give them a zinger right back. They come and say something evil and wrong and hurtful about me, what do we do? We want somebody, then we want to watch them. They're going to come have a comeback to them and put them in their place. And we applaud that in our culture today. We call them quick witted It's like the older woman who went to a high school reunion for the first time in years, and she shows up and walks into the room and looks around and and just sort of blurts out, this can't possibly be the right place. Everybody in here looks so old. And then a a guy sitting down there, she asked him, what class is this? And he goes, 1958. She goes, well, that's my class. He goes, really, what did you teach? And see, we applaud things like that, right? We go, wow, you know, when somebody wounds us, we want to get them back. What I want you to understand is when you come across difficult people, the first thing you have to do is control your tongue. How you respond correctly depends on, on, on what you have to say. When I was growing up, we, we had a poem. It went like this. Forgive me for the words I spoke to you last night. I spoke to them in haste. And this, uh, today I thought of so much worse and those seem such a waste. And, and, and that's what, that's how we think, how we can get back. But he says, what bless and do not curse. You know what curse means? Curse means to say bad things about them, to say bad things about them back to them or to say bad things about them to other people or to say bad things about them to God or to say bad things about them to yourself. One of the biggest temptations we face in our culture is gossip and slander. To want to make other people think less of that person. And let me reiterate, reiterate this. When I'm talking about people, it's it's People. People who we may know and be close with, people who we may not even know. But we hear something, we watch something on TV or, or we hear them say something on TV and what do we do? We want to go talk about what makes us think that, that this just applies to people who, we're, who we have good friends and fellowship with or, or something like that. No, this applies to people who we may not even know. Again, it's election season. But this is a strong temptation for us. In fact, we live in a culture that lures us to say evil things and, and, and to strike back at other people. It lures us into doing that. I like what happened with President Lincoln. He was being interviewed, and, and, a, and a guy was uh, asked the president what he thought about this other guy who had, been saying, who had been very critical of him and saying very mean things about him. And, and Lincoln, he responded by just saying nice things about the guy. And, and the, the interviewer said, said, do you not understand what he's been saying about you? Are you not aware of that? And, and Lincoln says, I am aware. But you asked me what I thought about him. You didn't ask me what he thought about me. And then later on, what Lincoln did is he took a lot of his critics and he, put, and he, ta- and he, he placed him in high places of administration on his staff. And somebody said, Mr. President, don't you know you can crush your enemies? And he said, if I make my enemies my friend, have I not yet crushed my enemies? But it's not enough not just to to curse them. It's not enough not just to say bad things about them in return. He calls us to bless them. To pray for them, to do good for them, to, to say good things about them. Here's... Here's what we read in in Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's what he calls us to do. When someone wounds us, insults us, say things about us, we don't curse him back. What do we do? We try and bring healing because that's what a wise person will do. What does it mean to Bless. Say good things about them. Pray for them. You say good things about them to God. You say good things about them to other people. You say good things about them to yourself. You say good things about them to them. You're nevertheless when you share grace with someone who is a difficult person for you to relate to. Someone who you have a hard time getting along with. Because that's what we've been called to do. Y'all remember Job? Has everything taken away from him? It's gone. His family, all his possessions is gone. And then comes along his three friends. Friends in quotation marks, right? Because they tortured Job with their words. They were criticizing him with their words. And then here's what we read in Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends... The Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. After Job prayed for his friends who had been so cruel to him, who had tortured him with with their words, with their criticism. But what does he do? Remember, Job learned some things. And what does he do? He prays for them. Then God says, now you're ready. This has been a learning experience. This has been an educational experience. Now you're ready. Then God blesses him. But not till he prays for his friends. I can't promise you that if you will bless the person who criticizes you or the person who insults you or the person who has different values from you, I can't promise you that they're going to change, but I will promise this. It will change you. So number one, difficult person. How you handle them all begins with your tongue. It it begins with with what you say. That's how you're supposed to respond to that. It begins with with your tongue. Here, it kind of repeats it, verse 17. Do I repay anyone evil for evil? Be careful Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So you don't strike back. They wound you, you don't wound them back. They insult you, you don't insult them back. It's different than what we see in our world, isn't it? It's different from what our world pulls us to do and pushes us to do and entices us to do. It's all about getting even. They insulted me or they insulted my values. I'm going to insult them right back. That's number one. Number two is, is this. He's saying what he's saying here in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So not only do we watch out with our tongue with, with how we respond to evil. But here, this is what's saying say here. Share in the feelings of your enemies. Share in their feelings. See, what most often happens is that we weep when they're rejoicing and we rejoice when they're weeping. That's usually how it goes. But he's saying instead, I want you to enter into the feelings of your enemies. Remember when the prodigal son came home? They're all having this big celebration, but what's the older brother doing? He's angry. There was no Chance for him to, to what's going on. How can I share in their feelings? Gre- Gregory Williams is an actor, and he was in L.A. in the Rodney King riots. Now, again, I know I'm pulling up things from the past, but, uh, but there were some officers who had beat Rodney King immersely, and they were exonerated in court. So then you had all these riots that broke out in Los Angeles. So he's coming out of a building, and he sees this guy, uh, uh, Takeo, who, who, I can't pronounce his right name correct anyway, but Her- 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 Her radio, something like that was his name, uh, Japanese descent. And so he's driving down the road, and he, he drives up, and all these guys just start surrounding his car, and they start belting his car with, with rocks, sticks, anything they can find. Then they, then they manage to get the car open, and they drag him out, and they're beating him, unmercifully beating him. But, but he sees this, he goes over there, and, and what Gregory does, he, he pulls, tries to pull him away from the crowd. And as he does, a police car goes by, but the police car just ignores what's, what's happening, he just drives on. Then finally this guy pulls up in a van, opens the door, says, get in. And he jumps in, and they get the guy to get uh to, KO to the hospital where he can get taken care of, because he was, he was definitely going to die if he stayed there much longer. Now, why did he do this? Why would Gregory do something like this? Because he was just incensed at the outcome of the verdict as everybody else was. It's because when he was 12 years old, he was living in Des Moines, Iowa. And he remembered getting hit and getting hated for no other reason than for the color of his skin. And he determined from that point on, he was going to, his motto in life is going to be do unto others before they have a chance to do unto you. But then a friend invited him to church. He became a Christian and his motto changed to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And when he saw Takeo being beaten, he he emphasized, he empathized with him. And that's that's what God's talking about here when he says, share the feelings of other people, weep when they weep, rejoice when they rejoice. Because so many times there's been barriers broken down time and time again. Because somebody was willing to celebrate with somebody who, who they didn't get along with, some, some, some difficult person, or they were willing to enter into their mourning like Chuck Colson did. So, number one, if we're going to learn how to deal with difficult people, it's going to begin with our speech. Number two, we have to be willing to share their feelings. And, and number three, what they think. Here's the verse twelve, sixteen. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Try to understand how your enemy thinks. So much conflict is in refusal to try and look at how another person thinks. How many times have you been in a conversation and in an argument and before the other person even finishes, you jump in because you think what you had to say is more important than what they had to say. Stop and try and understand what the other person is thinking. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But don't think that what they have to say is not worth listening to and the only thing that's important is that they hear what you have to say. Take into account how they're thinking. Take time to listen. Let me, let's back up. Look at the last part of this verse. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Isn't it true that when you're, in a, when you're with a difficult person, most every time you look down on them, It's our pride. We don't want to to know what they think. Here's what, let's just look at this principle here. Become an intentional understander is what he's saying. Become an intentional understander. Bud Welch's daughter died in Oklahoma City bombings. Another example from the way past. Some of you don't even know what that is. About 168 people died when Timothy McVeigh set off a bomb in front of a federal building in Oklahoma City. People were, oh, they, they lost their senses because they were so overcome with rage after he was convicted. They, wanted, they lined up to try and get in there to see, uh, see him be put to death by lethal injection. Filled with rage and unforgiveness. And Bud was not one of those people. He had a different approach. About three years later, he went to go see Bill McVeigh, Timothy McVeigh's father. And so he sat at his table in his kitchen, drinking coffee with him. Noticed a picture on the wall, and said, "My, what a good-looking young man." Bill said, "That was Timothy's high school graduation." And then Bill broke down, and started crying. And said, "I'm so sorry about what happened to your daughter." You know what Bud said after this moment? He said, I never felt closer to God than I did right then. Here, I had come. I had come to maybe bring some healing to to Bill's life, and I had a load lifted off my shoulders, and it brought healing to me because he was willing to become an intentional understander because most people, they wrote Bill off as some monster who would raise a guy like that. The Bud decide to become an intentional understander. Do you realize that, that most difficulties in relationships, most of them are due to misunderstandings? Because we just don't take time to listen? Because our pride wells up and we want to cut them down and get them back and, and we don't want to listen. We just want them to hear what we have to say. Stephen Covey gives a great illustration of this when he was on a subway in, in New York City. And this guy gets on the subway with his kids. And it's a little bit later on in the evening. But his kids, they just, they're just going wild. They're running up and down. They're, they're irritating everybody, just being obnoxious, being loud. And, and, and Covey's getting irritated. This. Does that guy, why don't he do something about his kids? And so he goes up to him and confronts him and says, Sir, do you not realize what your kids are doing? And the guy says, oh, I didn't notice. We just came from the hospital where my wife passed away, and I'm so overwhelmed, I guess I didn't even notice how they were behaving. But you see what we do? We make assumptions, don't we? See, believe it or not, it's not the mo- goal of most people to make your life miserable. Okay, It's really not. That, that lady behind the counter at the airport She didn't make the plane late. She's not responsible for the weather or the the mechanical problems. And yeah, sometimes refs do make bad calls, but that doesn't mean they have it out for your team. And just because somebody's trying to merge in front of you in traffic doesn't mean they're challenging your manhood. It's okay to let them merge in front of you. And people who believe differently than you do politically... A lot of times, they're they're good people. Your child, believe it or not, isn't completely objective about his teachers at school. But we have problems with that. Misunderstanding can be accidental. But understanding is always intentional. But what do we do? We assume that's the first thing we run to assume. Why, why do so many people assume so many things? Why do you see it in the news so often where the news will come and the interviews come and they assume this is going on, but then you find out two days later, a week later, a month later? No, it's something completely different. Why do we assume? Because understanding takes time and effort. We don't want to put the time and effort in, so we just rather assume. And we do these things (laughs) with people we know and love and also with people we've never met before. And just because we never met somebody before, that doesn't make gossip okay. Doesn't make slander okay. Let's finish with this verse real quick. If possible... As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, just because you pursue peace doesn't mean they're going to. Some people are just ungettable. Okay, we'll say we'll just admit that right up front. Right, some people are. There are times when peace is not possible with other people, but it's always possible with God always with him so let's conclude with this if there's conflict in your life is there's conflict in your life between you and another person and let me be clear again maybe somebody you know maybe somebody you don't know just with another person political season i should say enough but if you're, if, you're, if you're in conflict w- w- with another person that you know or may not know, then guess what? You're not at peace with God. Because we're going against exactly what God has called us to do. And what we're doing, we're returning evil for evil, and we return evil for evil. All we've done is create more evil. Whenever someone attacks us or attacks our values, and we attack them back, all we've done is create more evil. That's all that's happened. We have been called, and we read that last week in several verses, we have been called to a different type of life, a different ministry. And that is not to return evil for evil, but to bless and not curse. And it begins with our tongue. Then it goes to sharing in their feelings and being willing to listen to what they think and not not have so much pride that we just look down upon them. Why would you want to look down upon somebody who was made in the image of God and somebody else who God sent His Son to die on a cross for? They are of immense value to our God. Everybody is. The person you see on TV that's saying things you don't like, they're so valuable to God that He sent His Son to die for them too. Why would you just want to create more evil in the world? Instead of Doing your best to live at peace with everyone. Instead of letting the gospel penetrate your heart and break down those barriers between you and them. So, are you at peace with God? Then you won't be in conflict with those that God has put in your life. Again, you can't, you can't determine how they're going to respond. You can't that, that's not your responsibility. But your responsibility as a Christian is to bless and do not curse. Your responsibility as a Christian, and, and we'll see more of this. Next time is to love them because if you just love those who love you, <laughs> what does Jesus say? What difference has the gospel made in your life? If you love people who love you, you know how much difference the gospel has made in your life? Zero. Zero. I was about to ask Al, tell me how much. Zero. <laughs> he knew what I was going to say, being on the same wavelength a lot of times. None. The number one evidence that the gospel has made a difference in your life is when those barriers are broken down. Those relational, social, racial, and political barriers are broken down. Don't fall into the trap of our society. Because it will try to lure you into, into gossip and slander of other people into creating more evil in this world. We've got enough evil in this world we are called to respond differently. That shows we get it. That shows we understand. When we don't repay you for evil and we don't just and walk away, but when we choose to bless them instead, to say good things about them instead, then we get it. Then it shows that the gospel has penetrated our lives. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.